Welcome to The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy. I'm Megan Murphy. That was amazing. I'm Laura McNally. Welcome. On th- this week, we will be discussing... Witchery. That's where you come in. Really? Wait, when have we ever done an intro before? <laughs> not prepared. I'm not prepared for this level of professionalism. I, I think we should, though. What are we actually talking about this week? I haven't we can't, because then about. we make promises we can't keep. Like, the problem with doing an <laughs> intro would be the exact same problem that we have every week when I say, this week on the same drugs, we're going to be talking about, like, in my social media posts, and then we forget to talk about all the things that we Okay, say but that if we remind ourselves... If we if we remind ourselves, we might consciously be more uh, focused. I, don't, I actually I mean, really I... want to know what the topics are, just because I don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I know I know what we're talking about. Um, I I just I feel like I sort of like the the mystery of it all. Like I like you know you might oh. tune in and you might hear about something that you tuned in to hear, or you might not hear about that at oh. all, and we might just talk about okay. something completely different. And you know, it's always a surprise. You never know what to expect. Right. Okay. But if you were going to say what we wanted to discuss, what would you say those topics were this week? Well. <laughs> <laughs> there were a, but there, there there's ongoing cancellations i mean the running the running theme of our show is often complaining about covid uh american politics although i think we are actually going to skip american politics this week i'm 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 even feeling a bit over american politics yeah. um it's just sort of never ending and ridiculous and Trump is behaving like a lunatic. So yeah. as as was expected. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, you know, and, and then the ongoing attempts to cancel and silence various people. In this case, in this week, we've got a bunch of women on the roster or on the chopping block, I should say. Right. Um, but there's also, I mean, the first and most important thing is someone, one of the um, patrons on Patreon requested that we tell everyone what we're drinking at the beginning of the episode before we get into stuff, which is really unnecessary because every weekend, every weekend, every week I'm just drinking Makers. (laughs) I've never switched my drink, I don't think. Okay. Okay. Well, I drink gin. Um... And this week I'm mixing it with ginger beer, though I like to switch it up. So I kind of buy different mixes every week. Um, yeah, maybe we should do shots more often also. I just want to put oh that God, on. Oh, God, I list. would get so drunk. <laughs> I mean, I will, I just, but. I feel I'm, like I don't people... know. I'm not, I'm not the kind of woman who ever says no to a shot. So it would be. I don't I don't know that I have ever said no to a shot. So if you like pressured me to, I would be like, okay. So the um remember someone was asking like how do you manage to have fun and also discuss all these serious topics? Because that's like something that people kind of challenge us on sometimes for like not being serious or being they challenge us. You guys, why are you so fun? No, How are they say- possible that you're both so fun? 
they say like you sound ditzy and you sound dumb and you're not taking it seriously or you're just like two girls giggling and you're just so stupid Um, (laughs) so I would say alcohol for me is one way to lighten things up um because I don't know I just feel like when people sit around very seriously drinking coffee and discussing things in a very intellectual way it just gets painful for me very quickly and I tune out so I think I like when things are fun and light and so having a drink with a friend is one way to do that so that's kind of the vibe that I think we're going for I think that's the vibe we're going for. I also, I mean, I do, and I'm sure you do also, I do lots of serious work and serious talks and serious writing and I do serious interviews and mm. I don't know, I just find our weekly live streams really fun and I quite enjoy them. So I want to continue enjoying them regardless of it. And you know what? Some people don't like it. Some people do. That's fine. You can't please everyone. Some people enjoy the like excuse me as I like burp through our conversation um (laughs) disgusting and not serious enough (laughs) it's just proves my point never do that um but uh I mean yeah I think it's we're also I mean we're we're living through a period of time where no fun and socializing is allowed anywhere so man I'm gonna have fun on the weekly live streams like yeah things Uh are really like bleak right now um and this is yeah this is what this is not an ad but feel free to sign up to patreon so megan can buy more maca's mug or feel free to sponsor us yeah absolutely um (laughs) so yeah so speaking of no fun what's going on in new zealand yeah no no fun fun. not much fun what's what's happening with the restrictions over there people ask me what's going on in new zealand and i'm like i don't know i think they don't really have a ton going on I don't think there is many restrictions, but there has been a few cases and like New Zealand is very strict about like they seem to want zero cases. So as soon as there's one, they're like, oh, we might start locking things down like we can't have more than one. Um, So it seems like they might if things get worse. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like BC is going for that too which i don't really understand because we're never gonna have no cases right. <laughs> that's not what's gonna happen yeah. um somebody told me that and you maybe can confirm this or perhaps not somebody told me that a, f- a friend of theirs traveled out of new zealand and when they came back they had to go into isolation for two weeks but they wouldn't let them go home they like put them on a bus and took them to some like isolation camp or like an isolation kind of like hotel and they had to stay there is that what's going on yeah you're not uh, yeah when you get back into the country you have to go into a managed isolation uh location which is like fenced off and it's run by the government they're hotels but they're like fenced off and you're meant to book in advance it costs nearly like four thousand dollars what? And yeah, so hence That's crazy. I, I'll never be able to afford to travel again. Amazing. Um, but and then, no, but they won't aren't going to do that forever, Laura. Like I know, but like 
I would like to travel soon, so mm-hmm. it feels like a trap. Um, That's yeah, so crazy. If you, if you turn up and you haven't booked it, yeah, they will send you to, like, somewhere to stay in isolation. It's not, So if you not plan a trip, you have to book ahead, at, like, to stay at a specified hotel or something like that for two to weeks. To stay in the managed isolation, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you won't get through... You won't get through customs if you didn't have your pass for your isolation thing. That's creepy, man. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I because I was looking into like going to Australia just for a quick trip because I thought they'd open the borders between New Zealand and a couple of states that have zero cases because I just thought like if we all have zero cases, we can move between. So you can fly into Australia where there are zero cases but you can't fly back. If you fly back, you have to go through this four-week camp, whatever the fuck hotel it is, uh, and you have to have booked it in advance, paid in advance, blah, 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 before you book flights, blah, blah, blah. I was like, this sounds like a load of shit. I'm not – obviously, I'm not going to go. So, That's terrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, supposedly there's a vaccine coming – very soon, and I suspect that it won't be available to the general public right away. Um, mm. You know, they'll probably give it to healthcare workers and then like the elderly first. Mm. But I think that you might be able to travel at some point once the vaccine is around. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I they just announced today in BC that they were not letting anyone travel within BC. So if you live in BC, you're not allowed to go anywhere within BC. What? How do they control that? They stop you in your car? I don't think they can control that. But these are the new restrictions. They also had a week ago imposed new like socializing restrictions, which said that you couldn't socialize with anyone outside your household. So if you don't have anybody in your household, you're kind of hooped. Um, and it yeah. was supposed to end on Monday And then um, I read an article today which announced these new travel restrictions within BC, also saying that they were going to extend the no socializing restrictions for another two weeks after the end of this, which I knew was going to happen. People were like, oh, it's just two weeks. I'm like, it's not Mm. just going to be two weeks. Was it just two weeks last time? Last time it was also just two weeks. And then it was like two months or whatever. Mm. Um, So... You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to socialize with anyone else. Um, I'm worried they're not going to let the you know fitness centers open up again. Although the pool is still open, so that's good. But it impacts my my weight training staff, and it obviously impacts lots and lots of other people. They're yeah. like exercising, but also it impacts the business owners a lot who are trying to make a living and can't yeah. because they're not allowed to have people in these facilities, um, and. Yeah, to me, it's like, you know, the reason that people are getting mad and frustrated or whatever is just because they keep changing the rules constantly. Like, if Mm. they actually did what they said they were going to do, then I think that this might go over better with me and with other people who are getting frustrated. But to say, oh, we're just doing this from this date to this date. It's just two weeks. We just need to get things under control. And knowing that you can't trust them, so you're like, oh, okay, sure, just two weeks. Like, mm-hmm. screw you. 
And then, you know, that they actually do that. They don't stick by their word. They do all these things that kind of, you know, I don't know why travel with NBC has to be restricted. I don't think that there's like, there are some cases outside the lower mainland, but not a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe they're trying to protect the places outside of the lower mainland from getting cases, but I don't know. I think that it's a bit ridiculous. And to say that people just can't socialize at all, all winter and the holidays are coming up. Like, Mm. I don't know. It's just, it's pretty dark and either people are just going to ignore things or get really depressed. I mean, or probably both, probably both things. What was that statistic I read the other day that was something like it was comparing people who had suicide ideation in the last month and like comparing the percentage of people who had suicide ideation in the last month (laughs) within some subset of the population. I think it was in Canada and it was like 37% compared with the normal average for a month would be like three or something percent. Hmm. And it's like, this is actually creating a crisis another crisis it is i mean i don't i don't know all the stats but yeah of course depression and anxiety levels are going up and then when there seems to be no end in sight i think that's when people really panic so if you know that you have to just manage something for a couple weeks or whatever like okay i just need to get through these two weeks and then things will be okay but there's no okay on the other side so Mm -hmm. there's no you know we'll end the lockdown for certain at this time. There's no, we'll have a vaccine by this day for certain. They don't, we don't, nobody knows when they're just going to change the restrictions on us. Like I said last week, I was like, I'm going to Mexico. Bye. But I actually don't know. Like when it comes to January, they may have changed all the rules and restrictions and maybe I won't be able to go. Maybe, you know, they'll want to put me in a camp when I get back or maybe Mm -hmm. they'll, who knows you know maybe they won't be letting people travel in and out um i just don't trust anything that they're saying and Mm. you know and i think that a lot of these restrictions are being pushed by the public like i think that there's there's some of the public who are like screw this this is stupid and then some of the public who are begging for more restrictions and mandates and pressuring politicians and officials to instill more restrictions and I mean you know as far as I'm concerned it's like well you don't you don't really like I mean who's monitoring your socializing like Mm -hmm. it's your neighbors and other people it's all about like social shame and you know busybody neighbors keeping an eye on you which I think is in some ways like a lot creepier than if it were the government who is gonna who were gonna be like we're going to find you if you do this. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, no, it's your neighbors and they're spying on you and they're going to rat you out, you know, just Mm -hmm. like. It's like Black Mirror. (laughs) But it's like Black Mirror, you know, that episode where like they're watching the girl as she's like walking around and I don't know, they're using social media to track her. And then every time she goes past someone's house, the person like knows and looks out. And I'm like, we're kind of becoming like that because we see everything people do on social media. We know where they are all the time. And now we're allowed to tell people like, well, you're not allowed to leave your house and you're not allowed to leave your house if you're not wearing a mask or you're not allowed to leave your house within this many kilometers. Like, it's very surveillance 
state-like, mm-hmm. but it's the, the public doing it to each other. I mean, and mm-hmm. and you see like cops and uh, officials also engaging in it. And, um, yeah, I mean, in Vancouver, in Canada, in any case, it's mostly the public monitoring one another. I think maybe mm-hmm. in some places there's maybe a more militarized approach or there's cops engaging with it or whatever, but I've not heard of anything mm. or I've not witnessed anything happening in Vancouver around cops finding people or monitoring people's behaviors or socializing or whatever, but it's definitely mm. everyone else doing it. Like I saw on social media, some people complaining about, um, senior snowbirds. So, you know, Canadians who, fly south for the winter you know who go to like palm springs um you know who go to florida for the winter and being super judgy about this they were like oh seniors are still like going away to hot places for the winter they're still going to florida for the winter like this is terrible how could they and i was just like well i mean it's their risk you know if a senior i don't know it was because the only reason that I can think of is would be that the seniors who are traveling might get COVID and die. But to me, I'm like, well, that's a risk that they are allowed to decide to take. You know, if you're elderly and you know that it's a risk, if you get COVID and that it could be serious and you decide to go anyway, I mean, that's your choice as far as I'm concerned. Like, and I just, I felt so angry because I was like, but they're going to, die so they want to enjoy their lives like obviously that's what like they don't want to spend the end of their lives hiding in their house all winter I mean you could arguably it's safer for people to be outside in the sun than like cooped up indoors with other people I mean not arguably it is but also I just was like you are that is cruel that is cruel to say you know you you're at the end of your life you know that you've only got you know five or ten years left and you you've worked your whole life you know these are people who are retired right so they're people who've worked their whole lives Mm. now they're retired now they can you know can afford to and want to enjoy their lives and you want to force them to be miserable and isolated like Mm. like how dare you go enjoy your time with your partner or your friends or just by yourself or whatever like Mm. stay here inside your dark house and be miserable and lonely and depressed until you die is it i'm just seeing a parallel here and i don't know if you can see it or get the same sense but there. You know, the thing we were talking about before where people feel angry with us because we laugh and we are lighthearted and they're like, no, be serious. Like life is serious. Take these things seriously. And they it's almost like people get triggered when they see you having fun. And you're kind of talking about the same thing. Like these are people who want to go and have fun and enjoy life while they can people are like no take this seriously life is serious you need to stay home or you're gonna die you're gonna make other people die you need to be serious and not have fun and just stay in your house it's weird there's something it seems to me there's something that's like triggering for people about people having fun and freedom that they don't want them to have yeah I mean and 
And it's not, I think that people still need to be careful. I don't want, I don't Mm. want to say, you know, people should just be reckless and do whatever. Um, But yeah, I'm not, I don't, I don't relate to this desire to control everyone else and to ensure everyone else is miserable. And, you know, people are feeling panicky because again, they don't know when it's going to end. You know, when we were in May or June, we thought things were going to end in the fall and now it's the fall and we know things are not going to end. They're going to last through the winter and we don't even know what's going to happen in the spring and we don't know what they're going to make us do. They, I sound like a conspiracy theorist now. (laughs) What are they going to do to us? Um, (laughs) You know what they're going to make us do in order to like comply with all their rules. Right. And you know, you know they're already doing it with these like isolation camps and who knows how things will play out with the vaccine again i'm not opposed to vaccines i think Mm -hmm. vaccines have been a a great thing in our society but i also don't support forcing people to do things against their will Mm, yeah um so yeah so i don't know i mean i'm pretty I'm pretty annoyed and I'm a lot of that annoyance is directed at people who are trying to control other people. Like Mm. you don't, don't spy on your neighbors. Don't Mm. rat on your neighbors. Don't shame people on social Mm. media. That's disgusting behavior. That's scary behavior. And that's dangerous behavior. Then you do get into, you know, territory of like ratting out, people hiding from the Nazis territory, you know, Mm -hmm. we've been through Mm -hmm. this before Mm -hmm. and it wasn't, you know, like neighbors participated in ratting out their neighbors so that the Nazis could come get them. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when people were burning witches, it was, you know, the people in the community ratting on each other saying, I think she's a witch. Yeah. You didn't need like some kind of, enforcement coming around knocking on people's houses it was the public and the neighbors doing it to each other and their family members and their friends and people in their community Mm -hmm. saying you know burn her burn her like take him away they're over here come get them yeah it's it's interesting because like tribalism and polarization is out of control. We've talked about this before. Social Dilemma covered how it's happening with social media and we've seen it with the US election and just how polarised people have become Um, and also how kind of like how we've created these echo chambers and become really intolerant of things that are outside of our echo chamber. Um, But there's this other layer now and I think we've started seeing it way back when cancel culture was first emerging, which was like piling on people on social media. Like if you can find something this person said, let's pile on, we'll create this huge wave. It'll be a big drama um, and it'll ostracize this person. And yay, we've done it. And I feel like that's now morphing into surveilling and piling on and attacking people if they, yeah, like go outside and you think everyone should be staying inside or they don't feel the same way about masks as you or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become so, it's, there's like so much angst. And I understand that 
most people are feeling a, a huge loss of control in their life right now. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, we've realized that scientists don't have all the answers. The government has very little answers. And there are all of these unknown things that could affect us at any given moment. And there, everyone's lost control. And I feel like we're, we're kind of turning it against each other to try and get some control. Like, well, if I can create a pylon on this person online or I can rat my neighbor out, I'll have some control back. Um, and it's becoming very like toxic, I think. Yeah. Well, and I find that a lot of those people who are, you know, judging and snitching and, you know, ratting people out or shaming people online are actually the people who haven't really done the research themselves and haven't actually looked at the data. Cause I've spent a lot of time doing research and looking at the data surrounding all of this stuff since the beginning, I've paid very close attention and I've been reading as much as I can. Um, and I find that people are still stuck in the state of paranoia that they were in back in, you know, March, April, Um, where we didn't know very much and we were just really scared that like we didn't know how COVID was being transmitted. Um, We didn't know what would happen to us if we got it. We might die. Um, We might end up at the hospital. Um, We didn't know how contagious it was. We didn't know how to treat it. Um, And yeah, and we know a lot more now than we did then, but people are sort of stuck in this, this thing of like, anybody could be contagious. And if you're not following the rule, and I participated in this at the beginning too, you know, like I've changed my mind a lot about COVID, but I've changed my mind a lot about COVID based on getting information and about learning. So when I didn't know anything at the beginning, I was pro lockdown. And I was like, why are people not following the rules? Like, screw you, you're ruining it for everyone. And that's because I thought it was a temporary thing. So Mm -hmm. I was in the, the, mind frame where I was like you know we'd only have to do this for a little while like come on stop whining and then we'll be done and it'll be over with um and you know I didn't realize that it would turn into a long time thing and I also like so many other people had no information about the virus Mm -hmm. um so as I as I learned things, I changed my mind. And there's so many people who just haven't done that. Like they haven't changed what they believe about the virus, what they believe other people should do, what they believe, how serious the virus is, which is that, you know, it is serious for some groups. And for most people, it's not that serious. Um, and which is, again, I'm not trying to make light of things because some people do die, but for any, you know, for people under 70, this is a virus that's, um, less deadly than the flu. Um, you know, it's not, it's not particularly serious for healthy people, Mm. but yeah, I mean, I actually, I have some personal stories about this that I'll share on the Patreon only, which we're doing right after this live stream at around 1030. Um, that, you know, just around that kind of, that kind of paranoia and how it impacts your relationships yet, let's say, and like, and you know, that, that leads me to be concerned, leads me to be more concerned about other people's behavior than I am about that virus itself. It's like Mm. what's concerning me now is not the virus. It's how people are responding to and behaving towards one another 
um and what you know the government responses and all of that stuff so mm. but i'll get into that later mm. um so but one of the one okay so one of the main things that i wanted to talk about today was um abigail schreier did you follow this uh the target thing mm-hmm. yeah i mean i sort of saw a few tweets about it so yeah so Abigail Schreier, who I interviewed recently, um, wrote a book about how the trans trend is impacting girls in particular and how many girls are being transitioned, how many girls are being convinced that, you know, that if they don't, if they hate their bodies, you know, if they don't like the, the experience of going through puberty, if they feel like they don't fit in, um, maybe they're struggling with like sexual identity, like maybe they're attracted to girls instead of boys and that's making them feel confused and weird. And the solution that's being offered to them on the internet and by their schools and by their peers at school, their friends is, oh, you, you're, you're probably just actually a boy. You're probably feeling this way because you're a boy and you need to transition. You need to take puberty blockers. You need to stop this process of going through puberty. Um, You need to go on testosterone and you need to cut off your breasts and maybe eventually go further um, and, you know, get rid of your reproductive organs entirely. And so a couple people tweeted, you know, it's amazing it's amazing that anybody still now would pretend as though Twitter is not an incredibly powerful entity that destroys people's lives and dictates dictates discourse and information when things like this happen. So two people tweeted at Target to complain that Abigail Shire's book was being carried there, was being sold there. So one of the tweets said... In 2016, you released a statement affirming your support for transgender customers. Ask Target why you're selling, it's like tagged, ask Target, why you're selling a book notorious for its harmful rhetoric against us. Historically, harmful products have been pulled from this shelf, and this should be too. And the other tweet said, I think the trans community deserves a response from Target as to why they're selling this book about the transgender epidemic sweeping the country. That part's in quotations. Like, you know, that's not even like a damning tweet. Like, ask Target why they're selling a book about the transgender epidemic sweeping the country because there's a transgender epidemic sweeping the country. (laughs) Mm. But they believe there's no... They They believe it's harmful just to say that, just to say that phrase that there's a transgender epidemic sweeping the country is like hateful and harmful somehow. Mm. Why would that be harmful? uh, Well, I think that people who are trans activists like to pretend as though all transitions are positive. So anything related to transgenderism is a positive and good thing to be celebrated. Um, just like being, you know, gay or lesbian is a thing to be celebrated and diversity is a thing to be celebrated because the trans activists have glommed on to that, that activism, which was a really successful form of activism. 
and is a positive thing, you know, like, of course, gay and lesbian people should be celebrated. It's um, not a negative thing to be gay or lesbian. And, you know, they're trying to fight homophobia. So, you know, they, they've taken that and turned it into this thing where it's like, if you say anything negative about transgenderism or you ask questions about transgenderism, which has nothing to do with sexual identity or being gay or lesbian, it's not something that you're born with. It's sort of like a vague term that means nothing at all. It's not any kind of legitimate category describing any person or group of people um, that that's they're they're framing that as an attack on people who identify as transgender themselves which is not true of course you know it's she's asking questions about how this ideology and these practices are harming girls and there are lots of ways that this ideology and these practices are harming girls and mm. she's sort of delving into the trend and she interviewed lots of girls and their parents to see what was going on. But in any case, you know, target, you know, two people tweeted target and they comply and they're like, okay, sorry, pulling it from our shelves, you know, like they don't even think about it. Right. Um, and they did actually, a lot of people complain. So they, they changed their minds and they put it back on the shelves. But the fact that they, they not only that they did that, but, you know, they did it based on a couple of tweets from relatively unimportant people. Like these weren't, these weren't anybody important. These were just trans activists on Twitter. And I'm sure whoever decided to pull it from the shelves hadn't read the book. I'm sure the people who tweeted about the book hadn't read the book. Hmm. You know, they're making a decision about a book that they have no idea what the content is. And they're like, oh, it's transphobic. Like, it's not just celebrating transgenderism and trans activism. No questions asked. Must be bad. And and beyond that, one of the people who supported banning the book at Target was Chase Strangio, who works for the ACLU. So the American Civil Liberties Union is like an organization that fights for free speech and free expression. And this person publicly said, here, I'll read you the tweets, actually. So you, so this this trans person is a is a lawyer who works for the ACLU. Abigail Schreier's book is a dangerous polemic with a goal of making people not trans. I think of all the times and ways I was told my transness wasn't real and the daily toll that still takes. We have to fight these ideas which are leading to the criminalization of trans life again. Um, and then added and then later deleted this tweet actually. <laughs> Also, stopping the circulation of this book and these ideas is 100% a hill I will die on. Um, so, like, the ACLU, the ACLU defended the rights of Nazis to march and protest in Skokie, Illinois in 1978, and they defended the rights of white supremacists to march in, in Charlottesville, and they have this lawyer this representative saying no absolutely we should ban this book 
And, you know, there's also, I mean, it's interesting because when people talk about censorship and when you, like, if you complain about censorship, so if you were to say, like, you're censoring this book, this is a bad thing, we shouldn't ban books, they'll say, oh, well, we're not, we're not really banning it. It's not actually censorship, you know, censorship only counts if it's coming from the government. And this is something that I used to say. Um, and now, you know, what we, we understand or what we should understand is that censorship looks different than it used to. And it's still serious. Like it still matters if you're being censored or banned or silenced because of, you know, in your work, because of your workplace, because of your community, because of your political party, because of social media, you know, if target refuses to carry your book yeah, I guess you could go buy it somewhere else, but that still is, you know, that still is a really serious thing because you're preventing people from accessing that information. It's not serious necessarily because it harms Abigail Schreier herself. You know, the other thing that people will say is like, oh, you're doing fine. It'll You'll just sell more books now because this is, you know, a backwards kind of form of marketing, right? Like now more and more people are hearing about your book, so they're buying it. And, and that's true. But I don't think it's actually, you know, she isn't complaining about it because it impacts her income. She's mm. complaining about it because it's wrong. Mm. It's so um, strange to me. This is like what we were saying before, the thing that people want there to be no discussion around and it's like COVID or they want, they want there to be no discussion around uh, critical perspectives of Black Lives Matter or no discussion around critical perspectives of what's happening with children and transgender, what she's called it, transgender trend. We shouldn't discuss it because I think it's harmful. And I find that so bizarre, but to me, that's counterintuitive. If I have a problem with an idea, I want to discuss it more. If I disagree with someone, I want to dis- I want to hear their response to my disagreement because by actively disagreeing, we get somewhere. Like we can get to the root of the problem of why we disagree. But if we just don't talk, then we never really get anywhere because. I'm stuck with my kind of initial gut reaction and you're stuck with your position and we never get to work out, well, in which ways, in detail, like in higher definition, what are the things that we really disagree on the most and maybe there are some things that we actually agree on. But by refusing to have the conversation, we just never get to do it. Um, So I find it really bizarre and... um, counter to to the whole purpose and I've seen this um in a number of cases where um yeah people and I've I mean I've seen feminists do this where it's like well let's not let's not have the thing let's not have the event let's cancel that person I mean like I don't know at what point are we going to realize that canceling things is not productive (laughs) that it does change the scope of the dialogue but it won't be in the way that you hoped. Like Mm -hmm. the idea of like banning people from selling their book or banning people from being active on Twitter, those ideas are going to come out in another way now where if you 
don't ban things, you might actually be able to engage with them in a way that works for you. Like use those ideas within your media or respond to the book with your own critique. Write your own fucking book about the book so that people can understand all the ways she's wrong. And then you can have a fruitful kind of career around your disagreement with Abigail Schreier. But instead you want to ban it and then no one gets to read it <laughs> and we never get to have the conversation. I Like I can't understand where that's meant to get us banning things and cancelling things and censoring things. It's so strange. Yeah, it's completely backwards. And I think that a lot of people attacked organizations like the ACLU for doing their job, which is to protect free speech at all costs. You know, they should, they should defend the rights of Nazis to march and demonstrate and for white supremacists to march and demonstrate. Like I, it's super creepy and scary and I completely understand why people would be upset by that and they should be upset by it. Um, But people need to understand that you could be the white supremacist next. So if you say, you know, these, this group should be banned from protesting or, or um, marching or from speaking or from holding an event, then the next person in charge of making that decision could think that you were wrong and bad and hateful. You don't get to control that. If you give somebody that power, then that person could also have power over you. So you may well be right that this is wrong or dangerous or harmful, but stopping those groups from speaking or existing or gathering or whatever isn't actually going to to right wrongs. It's not just only going to hurt them if you shut them down. It also at some point will hurt you. You know, defending things like free speech and free expression and the right to protest is what, you know, allowed you know civil rights leaders to speak and make a difference and to have an impact in terms of like race racial justice right um you know this is the activists and the left need free speech just as much as anyone does Mm. um and you have to give it to everyone and to me it's really frustrating and baffling that people don't get that that they can just say oh free speech for me but not for him it just that it just does not work that way and it won't work Mm. that way and it will come back to bite you in the ass Mm. i it's also um confusing to me that the idea of shutting down dialogue or shutting down events or books is going to lead to a better outcome like i can't think of times in history where we've shut down people who think a certain way and it's worked. Like there are governments, <laughs> I mean, in Vietnam, you're not allowed to talk about the government uh, publicly. So this is at least one example I know of actual censorship. And like, it doesn't change the way people feel about the government. People still feel and think the same things. They just don't say it in public, they say it behind closed doors. So by stopping the conversation happening publicly, you're not stopping the conversation. You're just changing the place where it happens. Mm. Um, And of course, then it, it happens in a different way. If you have the conversation publicly, 
you might get somewhere with it. Like if the government or whoever it is feels threatened by this conversation, they can engage with it. And I find it so bizarre that there's this thing that progressives are really attached to and I don't see conservatives doing it, which is where they're threatened by the idea of conversing or understanding someone who's different to them. So like if you're conservative or centrist or you don't feel the same way about a certain topic, it's like a threat to have a conversation. And you've had this before. People are like, well, how dare you speak to Brendan O'Neill? Like you can't speak. How dare you? Like, by understanding people, we get to know them better, ourselves better, everyone better. But they're like, no, don't have the conversation. It's really important that in order to progress in society, we don't converse with people who don't agree with us. What? Well, and it's it, it's so funny because it's like, don't you want the opportunity to explain why this person is wrong? Like, don't you want the opportunity to explain why white supremacy is wrong? or why you disagree with this person's ideas about immigration policy or about transgenderism, because I want the opportunity to explain why I have concerns and criticisms of gender identity ideology, because it's important to me that other people understand. So like, I do want to have those conversations and those debates because I want my arguments to be heard and because they're good arguments. Mm. Like, so to me, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't relate to that idea where it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to respond to what they're saying. I don't want the opportunity to stand up and say, you know, this person is wrong or this person's beliefs are harmful and this is what's right. And, you know, to make my arguments, like this is a better way of doing things, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. don't you want to convince people that your ideas are better? And, like, you can't really do that. I mean, I guess you can by just, like, bludgeoning them over the head with your your mantras. But then that's just propaganda at the end of the day. Then you're just pumping out propaganda and you're trying to, like, convince people through brainwashing. Like, oh, if I just repeat these mantras over and over and over and over again, other people will repeat them, too, and they won't be thinking about it. But you're not really convincing them of any argument. You know, you're not... Um, you're not using logic or facts to convince somebody that this is a better way to do things. You're just, you know, bullying them or I don't know, you know, it, it effectively then becomes like a religious practice where you mm. say, this is my faith. And this also has to be your faith. Repeat after me. I also, I find it, I understand that one of the things activists say is that they refuse to discuss this topic, which is undermining their humanity. So if you wanted to discuss gender identity, they won't have that discussion with you because you're not validating their identity. So you're undermining their humanity. Um, and I find that I find this a bit confusing because um, the argument that is being made around, for example, Abigail Schreier's book is that she's doing harm to young people who might be transgender. 
but I mean, the equal opposite argument could apply that refusing to provide young people with all of the information and all of the information includes Abigail Schreier's work and Deborah So's work by refusing to provide a full picture of all of the information to young people, you, you may be doing them harm. So I, I think it's quite counter. Like there seems to be a very strong argument that if you engage with any kind of critical perspectives around gender identity, you're harming young people who have concerns about gender identity. But I just don't see, <laughs> like you said, there is this kind of one track mind that we encourage all young people who are confused about gender identity to take this path. And I don't understand how not providing them with all of the information is helping because I've never personally found that having limited information was helpful to me when I was confused about something. Well, and if you care about kids who are identifying as transgender and we discover that these puberty blockers are harmful to those kids and that giving, you know, girls testosterone is harmful or that, you know, giving them cosmetic surgeries when they're 16, 17 that prevent them from reproducing or, you know, enjoying sex as, as adults, if that's harmful, if we, if we discover that's harmful, then that doesn't that help these trans identified kids? Like if you really care so much about the well being of these kids, don't you want to know if they're being hurt and their lives are being ruined? Don't you want that information? And that's the information that Abigail Schreier is trying to provide to people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find it quite uh, stunning that it's like giving people limited information is the best way to empower them. Like limiting how much we can discuss this topic will empower people. I don't think I agree. And I don't think I agree on this topic or on any topic that we're empowered by limiting how much we know about it. I mean, for me, anytime I'm feeling confused or distressed, I want as much information as possible and I want to read every single perspective, how, no matter how much I disagree. Um, and I've, it's, it's really weird that there is this idea that we just corral people into one version of understanding a problem and that will help their mental health. I just don't think there is any evidence for that. I don't think it's ever a good thing to provide people with as little information as possible. I think you should provide people with all of the information. I think people should have as much information as they can possibly access. <laughs> right. And I mean, part of that is like, you know, I personally don't care what people's views are on all of these things we discuss. Like if you spend a whole bunch of time researching COVID and you become really, really focused on we've got to do lockdowns and you've got to stay in your house, like fine. If that's the conclusion you come to, fine. But like don't tell people they're not allowed to read the opposite perspective because that's not like I just can't get behind that. Or don't not read anything yourself and not do any research and then yell at other people for like having wrong beliefs or saying the wrong thing or doing it wrong or having concerns. It's like, okay, so you don't want to have any information 
but you're mad that other people have different information than you. <laughs> this has been like the problems with, you know, this is why Deborah so left her research job, right? Was because they were like, stopping her from publishing her research because they were like, no, this research doesn't line up with our political ideology, which is that we want to promote, you know, acceptance of transgender people. And we think that this research might not help with that. So don't publish it. (laughs) It's like, are you serious? Giving people the full understanding of how complex this situation is, I don't think will stop people from accepting transgender people or gay or lesbian kids or whatever the topic might be. Like having more in-depth knowledge is always going to be better And having more in-depth knowledge means it will be more complicated. It won't be as simple as anyone who feels confused about identity is definitely transgender, case closed, problem solved. We never have to discuss this ever again. (laughs) It's going to be more complicated. That doesn't mean people won't respect transgender people. I mean, and it's just, I think it's so unethical and irresponsible for adults who identify as trans, like Chase Strangio, to be trying to stop people from accessing information that will help kids, you know? Like, so this thing, like, you know, I think of all the times and ways I was told my transness wasn't real and the daily toll that still takes, and it's like, okay, well, you're making something personal that you're angry about or upset about, and turning it into the rule of law for everyone. So no one's allowed to access this data and information and these interviews and learn more about this topic because you have a personal problem. That's what that is, right? Like, you know, Chase is like triggered by people who challenge the idea of transgenderism. So therefore nobody can have the access to this information or have this conversation. Like you are irresponsible, you are unethical. Like you don't get to make your personal psychological shit the world's problem. You don't get to determine what people are allowed to think about or discuss or write about because you're triggered by something. Yeah. You're a lawyer. You're a lawyer who's supposed to be defending free speech and free expression. This is abhorrent. You should be yeah. fired. You know, I don't go around advocating for people to fire, be fired, but how do you hold this position and say such things and advocate for the banning of books? Yeah, to me, there's a conflation of several problems. And I think that what you're saying it stacks up for me. It's like, so this person felt that in their youth, they were invalidated and their identity was invalidated. And they're assuming that young people will have the same experience as them if they read this book. Um, That's a big assumption. We don't know how young people are going to feel reading Abigail Schreier's book until we ask them how they feel reading Abigail Schreier's book. And obviously if her book is complex and multi-layered, then they may have a number of feelings around the book. They may feel validated around some things and they may feel confused around others. And it's okay for all of those feelings to be present. I, this is really weird to me, this idea that we should never feel uncomfortable and 
it's everyone's job to stop us from feeling uncomfortable. And if we do feel uncomfortable, then someone's done something wrong and we need to like take action against them because we will never feel uncomfortable again. And like life is full of situations where we feel uncomfortable and trying to protect children from feeling uncomfortable actually sets them up for a lot of failure. And I was actually just reading some studies around this because it's very interesting to me, this idea that invalidating children is traumatizing them. And a lot of people are pushing this. And if you look at the research, parents in 2020 are more involved, more engaged, more validating, more protective, more nurturing. They spend more time and effort than ever before in human history and children are doing worse. So it's not a a matter of just do more validation and children will just thrive. It's not that simple. It's more, there's more layers to mental health than that. And one of the interesting things in the research was that parents who are over validating and like overvaluing and encouraging their kids a lot, there is a, there's this hypothesis that there is a link to narcissism there because Hmm. the child doesn't learn that their feelings are not the center of the world. And when you're a child, you do think your feelings are the center of the world. That's how children exist in the world. It's called egocentrism. They literally think that if they put their hand in front of their eyes, you can't see either because they think that you see exactly the same thing they do. (laughs) That's why you'll see kids like hide half their body and leave the other half out and they think they're hidden, but they're not. It's just this, they can't see you. Um, And so one of the things that they're talking about in the research is parents who are constantly validating kids for this kind of egocentric thinking, they don't ever set them up to feel disappointment, failure, setbacks, um, and all of those kind of things that are necessary to, to start to build a bit of self-efficacy and flexibility and the ability to deal with situations that are outside of your comfort zone. Um, so you get this kind of fragile but overinflated sense of how important your feelings are. And so they were saying this, they believe this is why we're seeing increases in narcissism because parents are spending so much time investing in making their kids feel special and valued and important and validated. And it's not actually setting them up for better mental health. It's setting them up for fragility and for the failure to be able to be resilient as adults. I think this generation is going to be a fucking disaster. Yeah. Like between this kind of behavior where it's like we need to protect people from difficult feelings and from conflict or from unpleasantness, um, from disagreements tied to, you know, being online all the time, which now, so not only, you know, is social media like a primary part of most of our lives and like, Mm -hmm. especially for kids, like kids who are growing up in this generation, kids who are teenagers right now, like social media is everything. So they're learning that um, validation is the most important thing and that validation is superficial. So it doesn't come from, you know, your own achievements. Like I'm really good at soccer or like, I learned how to build this thing or, you know, like I wrote this really good essay. Like they're not, they're not actual achievements and things that actually build confidence um, and help you sort of like feel good about yourself and get to know yourself. It's like, 
you know, something that's totally fake and superficial, you know, you can post anything on social media and get likes. It doesn't even have to be your real opinion. Um, it doesn't even have to be a real face. <laughs> and, and now because of COVID, Kids aren't even in school and they can't play with each other. So they're forced to do everything online. So they have no idea. They're not learning. Like these are kids, like your brain is developing. This is you're learning social skills. And now you're not learning how to play games with other kids and learn how to navigate conflict. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's how you learn how to deal with challenging situations and work through conflicts and work things out with other kids. Because, you know, when we were kids, we didn't have parents around. We were just playing outside with a bunch of other kids all day and we're left to our own devices. So we kind of had to deal with stuff and like figure out the rules to the game and who was breaking the rules and who was right and who was wrong and like, mm -hmm. and still keep playing with those kids every day, even if you didn't like them because they lived in the co-op with you. <laughs> so you would have to just like, it's like, well, they live across, we're all playing together every day, whether we like each other or not. Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. And now it's like all these kids and it's like, oh, not only do not get to interact with other kids, but your only, your only socialization is happening on these apps, like not with real people, not face to face. And you don't have to deal with anything. I guess you don't want to deal with if you don't like what this uh, video game character says, you could just stop playing. But actually, I guess you can just control that situation. I don't know. I don't even know what kids do. I'm like a video game. Kids play video games, right? <laughs> <laughs> Super Mario Brothers? Like, <laughs> yeah. Tetris. <laughs> well, I think that I think there's it's a, like a bit of a snowball effect because parents in in the last, like since the 90s or so, I, I think Jonathan Haidt talks about this quite well in The Culling of the American Mind, but there was a real shift in parenting and parents were suddenly informed that, you know, you need to be involved and you need to be present and you need to be caring and attentive and, you know, talk about feelings and do all these things. And at the same time, there has been these rising levels in anxiety and depression for various reasons. And what we have is, is this snowball effect. Parents are being told they have to do more and that their children are more at risk for anxiety and depression and other mental health issues than ever before. So parents are doubling down and trying to, you know, protect or prevent their kids from feeling hard feelings and there is a specific term for this in the research. They call it um, accommodation. So if a child feels uncomfortable or anxious and their parent makes accommodations to adjust for their child's feelings, it actually makes the child's feelings worse, which is counterintuitive, but it also makes sense. So like the, the child feels anxious and they say like, well, you know, I don't actually like playing with Tom. Um, I think he's a bit of a dick and like I'm anxious about it. And their parents are like, okay, like you don't have to and we're going to find you a new play group and you don't need to go and I'm here to talk to you and I'm going to help you. And it actually has the opposite effect of reducing their anxiety because they don't have to deal with you know, what they would have in the past, which is working it out for themselves, like maybe having a fight with this person. Maybe they, you know, 
end up with conflict or they end up, you know, um, having to go and find a new playgroup at school themselves. They learn ways to be independent and have self-efficacy and belief in themselves when they're left alone to do it versus when their parent does it and they don't actually learn that they have capacity to do these things. Like they don't learn that actually you have capacity to feel anxious and uncomfortable and keep going and you'll actually be okay. They learn that it's actually really dangerous and mom and dad are worried too, so I better be even more worried. Now my anxiety is even worse and it's this like snowball where the parent makes these accommodations to try and reduce anxiety. It makes anxiety worse. The child gets more anxious. The, ch- the parents make more adjustments. That makes the child even more anxious. And so you get this like snowball effect where parents are trying to help their kids to feel better and they're making them feel worse and they just (laughs) keep going with the cycle. Um, And yeah, it's really interesting because that seems to be the cycle that I see social justice warriors getting caught up in, which is like, no one should ever feel uncomfortable. And if, you know, microaggressions, if anyone ever says anything that ever makes a BIPOC person feel slightly uncomfortable, well, it's an aggression. It could be a trauma. We need to stop everything, end the conversation. Like, no, I'm not sure. Well, and so the other thing that happened this week is that Suzanne Moore quit The Guardian. So Suzanne Moore, who's like a longtime journalist and columnist, um, left because 300 Guardian staff members signed a letter against her complaining about the transphobic content she produced. And first of all, she hasn't produced any transphobic content. I'll, I'll reference the article that she wrote that caused people to sign this letter but second of all these 300 staff members wanted to remain anonymous so (laughs) they wanted to sign a letter targeting one female columnist um essentially you know to have her silenced and banned from the platform and they wanted the privilege of staying anonymous so they leaked their letter to buzzfeed and pink news but oh. made the the, the journalists there <laughs> promise that they wouldn't publish their names. It's like, wait, no, you don't get to attack somebody and libel them and try to destroy their lives and remain anonymous. You privileged, spoiled, little shitty brats. They don't want to feel uncomfortable, Megan. It would be a crime. Like, you can't even be accountable <laughs> for attacking this woman and trying to destroy her career and, you know, publicly, you know, to smear her in this way. And you won't even put your name on it. What did she do? So she, she wrote an article called women must have the right to organize. We will not be silenced. That's the headline. And she wrote it after Selena Todd, who's a professor of history at the university of Oxford, Um, She was scheduled to give like a two minute thank you talk at an event at um, Exeter Exeter College. Sorry if I said that wrong. Um, Commemorating 50 years since Ruskin College's inaugural National Women's Liberation Conference. And then she was, of course, disinvited because she had participated in a Women's Place UK event, which makes her transphobic. Um, So... Um, 
I'll actually read part of the article because it's quite a good article. So she wrote, and just so people can know what she said, like this is what's getting people, women accused of transphobia, right? And fired from their jobs and banned from social media and so on and so forth. I mean, the arguments she's making here are arguments that I've made many times myself um, and been punished for it in a variety of ways and smeared and banned from social media. So she, she writes... The radical insight of feminism is that gender is a social construct, that girls and women are not fated to be feminine, that boys and men don't have to be masculine. But we have gone through the looking glass and are being told that sex is a construct. It is said that sex is merely assigned at birth rather than being a material fact. Actually, though, sex is recognizable in the womb. Sex is not a feeling. Female is a biological classification that applies to all living species. If you pr- produce large and mobile gametes, you are female. Even if you are a frog, this is not complicated, nor is there a spectrum, although there are small numbers of intersex people who should absolutely be supported. And then she goes on to um, explain that women's oppression is connected to our ability to reproduce um, and that part of our fight for female liberation, you know, our, the success of fighting for female liberation and the success of the fem- the feminist movement has in many ways been because of our ability to talk about our bodies and talk about biology and talk about childbirth and talk about menstruation and talk about men- menopause. That's all part of the women's liberation movement, being able to talk about these things that are realities for females. Um And then she also says, um, I know from personal experience the consequences of being deemed transphobic by an invisible committee on social media. It has meant death and rape threats for me and my children and police involvement. I also know that the most vicious stuff takes place online and not in real life. Still, I can't stand by. Um... As Roman Polanski was being rewarded for his latest film at the Caesar Awards, Todd was being silenced. This latest silencing of women is a warning. You either protect women's rights as sex-based or you don't protect them at all. And then she concludes by saying, you know, we have the right to organize. We have the right to speak without being told that speech itself is dangerous. You can tell me to die in a ditch turf all you like, as many have for years, but I self-identify as a woman who won't go down quietly. So this was the transphobic article that caused these 300 staff members to sign onto a letter um, saying that, you know, she was producing transphobic content and, you know, how can the Guardian stand by and let this happen? Oh my God. Um, and then, can I just so, ask, and when so was she that, quit this week. When was the article originally published? Uh, so that letter was leaked back in March. Um, but I suspect like, no, having been subjected to this very thing myself, I suspect that she's suffered a lot of consequences behind the scenes by being treated this way and ostracized by the staff and harassed and silenced and censored. So she didn't make a statement explaining exactly what went down yet, though she says she will speak about it at some point. But, you know, this is what happened to me when I worked for Ravel in 2015, and I'd worked there for, like, a few years. And, you know, thousands and thousands of people um, who who identify as leftist and progressive, you know, the sex work lobbyists, um, 
signed a letter demanding that Rabble fire me for being, you know, whorephobic, transphobic. They, I think they called me like a racist. They called me all Islamophobic, which is like, I've, I've never written anything about Islam in my life, but oh, just throw it all in there. All of it. Like, yeah, just whatever, all anything, all of the stuff. And, uh, and, you know, Rabble had to like do this investigation and comb through every single article I'd published there and every single podcast I'd published there, which there was like hundreds at that point, and couldn't find anything that constituted any of the things they were accusing me of. So they couldn't get rid of me, but they hated me so much for, you know, causing this drama, right? Like it was my fault. It was my, according to them, it was my fault because I was making things difficult for them because these, these were their friends. And it's like, sorry, your friends suck. Mm. Sorry, your allies in the labor movement suck. Sorry, the people you work with suck. That's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, like, mm. these are my opinions. They're valid opinions. People are free to disagree. Like all of these people, I was the only person on that re- website who was writing critically about prostitution and pornography and BDSM. The only one, all, everything else published was in favor of, you know, legalizing prostitution. Nobody dared criticize pornography. But like, it's like, so you have the right to to respond and say that I'm an asshole or I'm stupid or I'm wrong or whatever. But that's not what they want. They already had that. They had dominance. And then I got in there and they couldn't stand that I was saying something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I was punished behind the scenes. You know, the staff stopped speaking to me. They were, you know, like I was ostracized, essentially. And then I wrote an article that was critical of that language of menstruators and pregnant people, mm. of the erasure of women from, like, from <laughs> from women, you know, like where you would say women instead, you know, Planned Parenthood is saying pregnant people and menstruators. So I wrote an article critical of, critical of that. They put it up and then unpublished it. Nobody would explain why. Um, and I quit. You know, so I said, this is what's happening all over the place. It's why Glenn Greenwald quit. It's why, you know, Matt Taibbi quit. Like, you know, people are being censored for no good reason, for political reasons. Well, he left, what did he, he left Vox or whatever. You know, people are going over to Substack, right? Like people are going independent because they're being censored in the liberal media for, ideological reasons for political reasons not because what they're saying is invalid although Mm. people will claim otherwise it's not true you know Mm. i was expressing a valid opinion i was legitimately angry and again then somebody writes something challenging me but you're just going to censor me and you're not going to have a conversation with me you're not going to explain i was just told it was i used transphobic language and it's like i didn't use what transphobic language what was transphobic? Nobody will tell me. So I was like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I won't accept this. I'm out. So yeah. I think I'm sure that's probably something similar to what Suzanne or the re- the reasons in any case um, behind that decision. I find it very interesting that when you ask for specific examples, and this could happen with the gender identity conversation or other 
controversial topics and you say, well, like, what, give me a quote that highlights the issue you're talking about. So give me the quote from Suzanne or from whoever that you think kind of brings to light the issue you're talking about. And uh, people do this a lot with J.K. Rowling. It seems to be like this thing that you need to accept. J.K. Rowling is like a bigot. And it's like, okay, so what is it that she said, like specifically, so we can address it and understand it? And like no one will say, you're just meant to agree that she's a bigot and there's no real explanation. Um, And, you know, you should... it's just in there. It's it's just uh, it's part of the you you know. It's just hidden in the words somewhere. Like what are you? <laughs> if you can't clearly explain something, how do you expect other people to get on board? Like we're all meant to get on board that J.K. Rowling is cancelled, but you can't give us an example of why. What the fuck? So so now we have to engage in groupthink, and that's the thing they do is like, well, if you don't fucking hate JK Rowling, you'll be cancelled too. So it's like people are only agreeing with you because they're scared of you. It's not because they understand. It's not because you're clearly explaining your position and giving us a quote and saying, look at this thing she said. It's it's horrific and surely you disagree. You're just saying you better fucking disagree or you're cancelled. Well, yeah, and it's funny that you break that up because the other thing that happened this week was that, like, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, um, in like, the, there was this long interview um, with her that was published, uh, I think, in The Guardian, actually. Wow. <laughs> but um, but uh, she said, yeah, it was in The Guardian. One of the things that she said within this long interview was essentially that you know, what J.K. Rowling said was fine. So she said, she said, you know, like, she was asked about cancel culture, and so I think she brought up J.K. Rowling, and she said the per- piece was perfectly reasonable and said, J.K. Rowling is a woman who is progressive, who clearly stands for and believes in diversity. And so just for saying that... <laughs> Like, yeah, the piece was totally reasonable. She's attacked as being transphobic. Um, so some some guy wrote an article for for Jezebel, um, just expressing like shock. Like, you know, <laughs> well, at least one person thought the Harry Potter ladies essay was good. Novelist and writer Chima Mountain Negozi Adichie. Um, in a new interview with the Guardian, Adichie refers to Rowling's screen as a perfectly reasonable piece. <laughs> like this is the thing that's supposed to be like shocking. Remember when Rowling made up an entire world of magic and wizards and made the wizard banks run by goblin and Jews? Diversity. Anyway, Adichie's comments are disappointing, obviously, but they're not exactly surprising. Three years ago, the author faced de- deserved criticism for saying that she finds the idea that trans women are women difficult to accept. Um, anyway, and then I think there was some other tweet that said, oh, okay, this was the other one. 
Yes, language matters to her as a tool for domination. Chimamanda is a cis-het, petty, bourgeois, turf writer. She understands her positionality very well and uses it to pander to the expectations of her peers and the industries she wants to have authority in. She's an author. She's a writer. Like, this is all you can do to respond to what she said, which she didn't even say anything, hardly. She just said it was reasonable and that J.K. Rowling wasn't, like, a terrible person. But it's like, oh, she's privileged, cis, bourgeois, like... She's probably making a bunch of money off of that, which is not true. Like anybody who knows anything knows that if you want a career, you have to go along with trans ideology, not the other way around. Like the rest of us all got fired and like banned. Like, yeah, my career was really helped by this. Like now I don't, I can't have a platform on like, you know, like I can't, like if people think that your income isn't hurt by speaking out about gender identity ideology, they're lying or they're delusional. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is that uh, it's interesting that people go, they go for, the identity, like attacking her identity. Like she's cis and het. Who told you that? Did she tell you? Like, yeah. what is that your business? You personally think it's relevant that she, and you believe that that is her identity, but like who says you have the right? I mean, I just, I think that's the most like low blow kind of game to play where you know, it might, you can't say that if you'd be like, oh, well, he's just gay and black. I mean, what would he know? You can't say that. Why should you say it? Because someone is cis and straight or white. You can say it? I mean, no. I think I that's a really childish and petty way to respond to people. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's just, it's so interesting that people, they don't only go after the person who said the thing and they never know what the person said. You know, none of these people going after Abigail Schreier read the book. I'm sure of it. You know, the people going after J.K. Rowling didn't read her essay because when you listen to them talk and say that she's hateful and you've read the essay and you're like, there's nothing hateful in this essay. Like, it's quite compassionate, in fact. Um, you know, when you read the article that Suzanne Moore wrote, like it's so it's not only that these people need to be burned at the stake or put on some kind of list and banned from society. It's that anybody who doesn't agree that they should be burned at the stake, not even pe- you don't even have to agree with them. You just have to not disagree with them. You just have to say, oh, well, it sounds like what she said was perfect, was OK. Like, I don't know. It doesn't sound hateful. You might even say, I mean, I disagree with her, but I don't think she's an evil witch who needs to be burned at the stake. And it's like, you need to be burned at the stake. How dare you? They're psychopaths. These people are psychopaths. Yeah. It's that guilty by association thing, which is very strange. And we've talked about how it's that kind of enmeshment thing, which is that when you're a child, you think that other people think the way you do. And you also assume, therefore, that, if you're friends with someone that your friends must think the same way. And so that's like why people say to you, well, how can you talk to Brendan O'Neill? Like you must think the same way he does. If you spoke to him, it's like, no, I can speak to people who don't think like me. Well, I agree with a lot of things. I like, I like Brendan O'Neill. I think he's super smart. I think his opinions are like 
all very well formed. I think he knows what he's talking about, and I agree with a lot of what he says. So what? So what if I agree? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like you hate him because he has an opinion that you don't like. I bet you didn't even read the article, and I bet you don't read most of what he says, and I bet you never had a conversation with him because you decided that you hate him. So now I have a conversation with him and, you know, and like I, I change my mind about things all the time. You know, in the first interview that I did with him for this show, it was like, I thought we were going to have this big disagreement about lockdown because I was like pro lockdown and he was anti lockdown. Once I talked to him, I was like, oh no, your position is totally reasonable. And then I turned out to be the one who was wrong. Like, Mm. God forbid you change your mind about something after getting more information or new information or having conversations with more people, you know, and you know, it's what people, what so many feminists said about me and Brendan O'Neill and not just me and Brendan O'Neill, but the fact that I change my mind about things or I'm speaking out about things they don't want me to speak out about, you know, for having a nuanced opinion about like Trump voters for whatever speaking critically about like black lives matters aims and stuff like that it's like they started saying things like oh she's just been hanging out with all these guys and they're putting ideas into her head it's like oh that's that's a feminist thing to say she just wants to fuck them all and she's just confused (laughs) i'm gonna change my opinion i hope they like me will they want to make out with me if i agree with them (laughs) like you assholes like anyway i just i just wanted to say that because it's like yeah no i probably don't agree with everything brandon o'neill says but i agree with a lot of stuff he says like and Mm -hmm. if anybody actually engaged him in conversation then maybe they would too god forbid because then you'd be a baddie and you need to get burned too so Mm. maybe maybe you shouldn't maybe Mm -hmm. burn me instead and just don't listen don't engage (laughs) then you're safe don't ever change your mind about anything don't ever look for new information. Don't do any research. Don't read anything. No. Stay It'll screw you in the end. As limited as possible. It'll be safe. And then you'll be very mentally healthy and well-adjusted, as we know from the research. Um, we Let's should log Patreon. off and go to Patreon only. Um, I think we've got some useful... Useful. We've, we've probably got some good gossip for you. Okay. Some really useful information. (laughs) (laughs) Some uh, data. Woohoo! All right. See you on Patreon. Thanks, everybody. See you. Okay. See everybody on Patreon. Thanks for tuning in to the same drugs with Megan Murphy. We're here every Wednesday at 9 p.m. (laughs) Pacific. Subscribe, etc. All right. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye.